You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. I'm Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Joined this week with Kent Harder as well, and we're going to be talking about a crazy time in the National Football League. We've seen multiple NFL teams already wheeling and dealing, particularly at the quarterback position. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals themselves have made several moves in order to um, restructure, create some cap space, but so far, as far as re-signings, there's only really one player that will be brought back in particular that is an interesting move by the team, one that maybe wasn't quite as expected. Before we dig into all of this, uh, just before free agency, um, Kent, how are you doing? Good, sir. And uh, it's been a wild and crazy week for the NFL, and we have not even hit the legal tampering period of free agency yet. I'm doing very well, thanks, Blake. It's uh, it's a wonderful Sunday morning where I am, so get to get to record a podcast and talk some football. It's been uh, a, a week of of fun and games through the league, so be good to talk talk a few trades and free agency and go from there. Absolutely, the Cardinals are uh, currently at least sitting with a bit of cap space. They were able to release the likes of Jordan Hicks, a linebacker who is probably been the Cardinals leader in a lot of ways on defense, being the guy who calls Vance Joseph's defense. Uh, He is straight up released. This was something that was expected for the team. He gets to go and try to find a new home. Uh, Kent, before we get into dig into everything else, as far as when it comes to with the Cardinals, um, what is going to be the case as far as when it comes to the likes of who and what free agents the team could add back. We've talked a little bit about guys we'd want to have back, guys we wouldn't add back, but a lot of the discussion I've seen from Cardinals fans has been built around free agents that I don't think the team has a shot of getting, but also about the moves from some of these other quarterbacks. Let's start with the biggest overall, I think, move as far as when we can get into it. This is Russell Wilson-centric. This is how the Seattle Seahawks have been. This is what has their identity been, not just necessarily offensively, but as far as the best period of time for their franchise, having him as a franchise quarterback, he gets dealt for multiple first round picks, multiple players to the Denver Broncos. He is now out of the Cardinals division. Then you see at least the next day, Carson Wentz goes from the Colts to the commanders in the NFC. And then we see another NFC team, the Bears, Khalil Mack goes to the Chargers, there has been probably a lot more made out of Wilson and his caliber going to the Broncos than two third round picks being sent um, for the exchange for Carson Wentz to Washington, a team that seemingly is going to be out of the sweepstakes. And most of the discussion at least will perhaps have a uh, resolution by the time that this podcast um, is reaching your ears being with Deshaun Watson and his um, lack of criminal charges being filed the NFL obviously views criminal charges versus civil cases differently. It does not rule out a suspension from the league, but it does seem at least that there's not very much prison time that will be sent. What's kind of the first thing that comes to your mind, Kent, when you see all of these moves, all of these trades being made? I don't think we expected the Cardinals to be involved in any of these type of splashy deals, but it is interesting to see a lot of other teams around the league making early moves, especially as it's moving talent out of the NFC West. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think a lot of these deals were somewhat expected. Maybe maybe not so much uh, a Carson Wentz deal going essentially back to a division that he uh, has a lot of uh, a lot of familiarity with from his time in Philadelphia, going to going to Washington there. But the Russell Wilson deal has been coming for a little while, I think, in the background, and it really was always going to be a a question of where he wanted to go and where he thought he was going to be able to play the most successful football and, and, and do the best for himself. Um, in, t- in terms of the Carson Wentz deal, it's, it's really going to be an interesting one because you can see Washington really want to compete. They've been down for a while. They're, they're, they've essentially made what I would almost class- classify as a desperation move to, to get their quarterback in and hoping that Carson Wentz can be a guy that, that leads them to, to a lot of wins. And I'm at this stage, not a hundred percent sure whether that is actually going to happen. Um, and before I touch on a little bit of Deshaun Watson, I, I guess it's the, the, the aspect of Russell Wilson has gone from an NFC team to the AFC. You've seen Carson Wentz go from an AFC to the NFC. And I think with Deshaun Watson now, rightly or wrongly, whatever the deal situation may be there with no pending criminal charges, wherever he ends up, I I feel that the Texans, when they trade him, will trade him to an NFC team. And if you, I guess, break down the teams within the NFC that need a quarterback and are also ready to be in a position where Deshaun Watson's like, yeah, I want to go play for that team. You really limit those those options to probably two or three teams in in the NFC. And I'm I'm talking, you might have Seattle in that conversation, but outside of them, it's really you're looking at the Buccaneers and the Saints. Those are the three teams that I really think are going to be in the conversation for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, with um, when it comes to Watson, the like you said, seeing quarterbacks move to a different division, the only team that seems to be close, worthy at least to some, at least for monitoring, that's in the AFC, <clears throat> would be the team that made a splashy move earlier today as we're recording this podcast. That being the Cleveland Browns, picking up the legs of Amari Cooper and also his uh, some twenty million dollars a year contract from the Dallas Cowboys. Only cost, I believe, a couple of sixth-round picks, uh, essentially a fifth-round pick with two-sixths being swapped. Um, Perhaps those were in separate years, um, just from my recollection. It shows that when you have a player that you're looking to release and you have to end up um, then kind of maybe putting out some feelers and then a team making a trade for that player. Uh, We saw this with the Arizona Cardinals last year. News dropped that Rodney Hudson may be getting released by the Raiders. Suddenly it seemed like that dried up. The Raiders suddenly then turned into dealing him to the Cardinals for a third round pick. And in some ways you could say that Hudson and his contract, the positional value was maybe a bit more optimal for a team to be trading for, which is why the pick was a bit higher. And we've seen how Dallas essentially, in some ways they probably did not view Amari as a $20 million a year type of receiver. They wanted to keep Michael Gallup at probably a closer value to his place. They, have also been paying Ezekiel Elliott a crazy amount of money. He's essentially locked into a six-year contract. This is kind of where we talk about and can joke that, you know, the salary cap is a lie in the NFL. It does come into play as far as with cash that comes on hand and where you're going to have resources, um, especially when it comes down to 
how you value a player. If you value a player like the Browns who want to take on that contract and maybe extend him, see if they want to change up areas or bringing someone like Amari in to maybe make their roster a bit more optimal. They're a team that is looking at the likes of Pat Mahomes, of Josh Allen, looking at Lamar Jackson in their own division. Um, Justin Herbert coming on strong. The Chargers uh, are making a large move of going for their uh, Super Bowl chance with Herbert on a rookie deal after making that trade for Khalil Mack. You're seeing how the a team like the Browns maybe should be looking to go all in just to be able to equalize in this kind of um, arms race, you could say at least, of quarterbacks or maybe a literal arms race for the quarterback arm in the AFC. But it does at least in a lot of ways come down to in this specific situation, Ken, I've seen a lot of Cardinals fans saying that they want to be the team that's in trading for Deshaun Watson, moving off of the likes of Kyler Murray. I think this is one of the places of where not only can you say, even if you set the personal avenues aside, which I don't think you can do when it comes to, you know, a player as far as with Watson in that regard, just simply because of the nature and sport of the NFL, even if you do end up setting some of that aside and looking at where it comes across the talent of the player, the production, the contractual obligations, there's a really good argument, I think, for the most part, that adding Watson may be a move that Cardinals fans, I think, are not to say overrating him to a degree. I think that maybe you might get better. But the question, I think, is how much better in that regard? How much does it cost as far as what the areas and resources for a quarterback that you already have in tow? And I think this is kind of been the distinguishment I've seen is it feels like there's a huge portion of Cardinals fans that are actively trying to ship out Kyler Murray. There's even been some fans who have wanted to just say trade him, get the number of picks, move back in. I don't know if about you, Kent, but it feels like there's a certain avenue of fans who, by having this offseason, by having a lot of the um, attention that's been drawn, a lot of maybe some of the drama, I think there's a lot of Cardinals fans who have turned this off for the most part, at least, and have essentially not really wanted to have Murray and any of these maybe distractions, not seeing a sense of loyalty in this regard, which I think is very important to Cardinals fans by nature of Michael, by nature of Larry. What's funny, I think, is to then say, hey, we need to get rid of some of this drama. Let's bring in Deshaun Watson. That doesn't seem like it's the necessary route for creating less drama. I'm just curious, what are some of your thoughts and why do you think this has become such a huge talking point amongst Cardinals fans when it seems like it's next to none, maybe like the smallest, tiniest percent of a chance that this would even be done? And if it was going to happen, you feel like it would be much more talked about right now, considering the likes of the Panthers, the Buccaneers, even a team like the Seattle Seahawks that is in the news for looking to try to add someone like Deshaun to their team. Yeah, I th- I think if even if I go back go back again to you look at the the Amari Cooper deal that we've we've talked about already, you've you've had a team going a player going from the NFC across to the AFC there as well, Khalil Mack a. a top edge defender in the NFL again probably traded for something that a lot of people would consider below what his real worth on the field is again he's going from an NFC to an AFC AFC team so I think if you look back all of the major probably major trades across all positions in the NFL teams are really cognizant of the fact that they want to not get beaten by the player that they just got rid of until it may be a Super Bowl situation. So I think 
with that in mind, especially in terms of Deshaun Watson, that probably, while I agree, Cleveland should be making, if they really think they can deal with his situation and, and the, the possibility of a fan backlash for bringing in this sort of a player, I they, they should be going after him quite heavily. In terms of Arizona, I, look, I don't, I don't think it's an idea that is really seriously on the table at all. It, it's, it's one that has always sort of popped up mainly because you then have the option of a Kyler Murray going back to Texas, going and playing in his home state. There's, there's that sort of background information to it as well. It's, it really is, I guess, if you look at how they've performed on the field, you could probably make quite a, quite a good argument that Deshaun's been a better player to this point in their careers, specifically throwing the football. But I, I, I don't see you've had a guy that's been out of the league for a year. You've got a, a guy that has all of this background, the background baggage that's going to come with him. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole other aspect to any deal involving Deshaun Watson at this stage. And I, <clears throat> I just I I don't quite get the mindset of of wanting to trade for for Deshaun as a quarterback, and it's 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 an interesting thing that so many fans are willing and able to push for this sort of thought process when there were there was very different uh, very different thought processes when I I look back in history of you had Daryl Washington had some struggles with with the the legal system and and he ended up being off the team and just sort of fading off into obscurity there after a couple of really, really good years. Michael Floyd had his DUI issue, his, his extreme DUI, I think it's called over there, and working through through that piece where he's had plenty of troubles with alcohol in the past that led to him being taken off the team. You had the Jonathan Dwyer situation. There's been, there's been a few examples of this around the team where there's some legal issues and I, I guess your your favorite line that always comes up, you know, if, if Hannibal Lecter ran a 4-3, we'd call it an eating disorder, that there are going to be teams that are going to be more than willing to sacrifice the off-field that comes with Deshaun for the on-field that comes with Deshaun. But I don't think you're going to see any teams that already have some sort of a quarterback in place that could be thought of as a franchise quarterback or an elite quarterback in that discussion. And again, I, I come back to where I think he's going to go is the Texans are going to try and make sure he goes to an NFC team. Deshaun Watson, who has a no trade clause, is going to trying to force himself to a team that he wants to go to, a team that he wants to play for. And ultimately, possibly, hopefully, He's going to end up, I think, in the NFC South, one of one of three teams there. Given that he he went to college at Clemson, he's got that the the familiarity of of that area of the country. Um, or both the Buccaneers and the Saints have have built some pretty good rosters there that have that that hole at quarterback that they can really try and push for for championships with with a quarterback of the quality of Deshaun Watson. They're going to have to deal with the cap issues that come with it. But again, they can make the cap work for a quarterback of this value. Yeah, the interesting one, obviously, is going to be, like you said, the Buccaneers with Bruce Arians, them being able to stumble into Tom Brady in free agency only to follow it up with another 
franchise quarterback would be um, a testament in some cases to just how unlikely that is for teams to follow up, especially considering how the Bucks have been, um, by all accounts, one of the worst teams in the league in the history of the league, as despite having multiple Super Bowl titles. Um, they just have not been a competitive football team for a lot of it, even having a worse overall record uh, than the Arizona Cardinals all time. Um, the one team that I've seen most people be worried about would be the Seattle Seahawks, who now, thanks to the Russell Wilson trade, they have picks. They've got at least a pass rusher in Shelby Harris, a you know, a adequate, maybe overly athletic, but hasn't quite put it together on the field, tight end in Noah Fant. And having draft picks now, they were essentially out of a first-round pick this year as part of the Jamal Adams deal. Now they have a top-10 pick from the Broncos. They'll be able to have draft picks next year. They could be in the market. I've also heard that there's probably going to be, at least in some regards, a lot of Seattle people who don't think that he goes to the team, and it doesn't seem like that they're making moves that is specifically designed to win now. We're seeing how... They have opened up at least the door for Tyler Lockett to be traded, according to some reports. We've seen them cut Bobby Wagner. It feels in a lot of regards, like as people said, it'd be a full-on rebuild. Um, they have Drew Lockett at least as far as a starting capable quarterback back in that trade. Um, what's fascinating is, is it might lead to there being a split within the Seahawks organization. I could certainly see their GM wanting to get a rookie quarterback, bring in that cap flexibility to rebuild their defense, be able to run the football. And I could see a 70-plus-year-old Pete Carroll wanting to win now with getting the best quarterback possible and continuing to semi-go for it by giving up some of those picks. It'll be interesting to watch given the fact that the Seahawks have always been a team that has kind of strove after that franchise quarterback when they've had a chance um, you think back to the Peyton Manning years when he was visiting several franchises upon his release from the Colts. He visited the Cardinals once upon a time uh, back in the Wiz and Hunt Graves days. The Seattle Seahawks had a plane that was ready for him to be picked up from the airport that he never went on, according to reports years later. Uh, he eventually settled for the Denver Broncos, was able to win a Super Bowl with them. Um, they did sign Matt Flynn to a large contract and we never got to see him play because third round pick Russell Wilson won the job out of camp. And, uh, this kind of, I think in a lot of ways, at least is frustrated. Some Cardinals fans who would love to see a window of an aging Stafford having an unknown and Trey Lance come in and the Seahawks being a rebuilding team. What would be before we talk a little bit about with Kyler and some of how this may turn out for him with Arizona, what would be, I think, the impact you would see as far as the Seahawks with Russell, uh, sorry, Russell Wilson out, but bringing another type of player like Watson in? I think as far as it goes with the Pete Carroll decision, with their talent level, I don't think it's quite as worrisome for Cardinals fans as many have thought, but that may be a spot of, instead of it being a window for the Cardinals to have possibly the best quarterback in the division and at a young age, it may set that window back a little bit or make it a much smaller window in regard for that are you as worried about the Seahawks being a team that could they do end up making a trade for Deshaun Watson and again this is due to the fact that his no trade clause would mean that there's a limited number of teams that he may be able to go to um, we've seen already Washington seem to move on from him we talk can talk about how you know some reports that the Eagles are out of the running from, according to Aaron Wilson of The Athletic. Um, it seems like he may not be waiving his no-trade clause to go to Philly, 
A lot of people seem to be isolating it down to the Panthers, Browns, and Saints may be more of a dark horse, and the Seahawks have had quite a bit of momentum. I don't know how realistic that is, but for assumption's sake, let's say he does go to Seattle. You Would you be as worried about this, and should Cardinals fans be worried about that if that turned out to be the case? Uh, in, ter- in terms of the Deshaun Watson versus Russell Wilson debate there, I think if you take purely what Deshaun Watson was in, in 2019 and 2020, it's something that Cardinals fans should be very worried about because there's an argument to be made there that Deshaun Watson was a better quarterback than Russell Wilson across that time period. He's used to playing behind poor offensive lines. He's If they do keep a Tyler Lockett and a DK Metcalf there, those are the exact sort of weapons that he had when he was putting up amazing numbers in Houston with a a DeAndre Hopkins and a Will Fuller combination. It's it's something that I, I really hope that he doesn't want to go to Seattle. I I hope that he, he looks at a Pete Carroll and he looks at that team and sort of says, Yeah, maybe maybe I don't think I can win now there. You know, maybe he looks at the the rumors, or not even the rumors, but the 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 sentiment coming out from Bobby Wagner after his release saying, hey, I know it's a business decision, but they could at least tell me before I find out through the media, all sorts of different stuff like that, that maybe plays into Deshaun Watson thinking this this isn't quite the the franchise for me. But in, in terms of his ability as a player, if he can pick up where he left off in 2020, any team that gets a Deshaun Watson into their franchise is going to pick up a top five to 10 quarterback in the NFL from day one. And that should be a worry for anybody who's going to have to be competing with the people in the, in, in those, uh, those divisions or those conferences. Yeah. The fact I think at least of that, there's an, uh, not just NFL starting quarterback, which we know can have a high value, but an elite one that's available is specifically in a lot of ways, something that was going to happen before all of Watson's um, case came out. He essentially was done with the Houston Texans. Um, He got a lot of money as far as his contract up front. What I think is unique in terms of this is that you can look at a couple of places as far as, you know, how is the story then going to end for the Cardinals and when it comes to Kyler Murray Um, statistically. And even when it comes to the record, They're a little closer, I think, than Cardinals fans would imagine. You take a look at how, if I'd said, hey, you look at a quarterback in the NFL who's gone 4 and 12, 10 and 5, 11 and 5 in their seasons, maybe close to 4,000 passing yards. Another quarterback who went 11 and 6, 8 and 8, 5 and 11. Watson was essentially flipped as far as that went from where it was with Kyler. He also joined teams that had been on the playoffs before. Murray, of course, as we've talked about, the Cardinals had to build back up from the number one pick. What's interesting is even in the win totals that we've seen, when the talent was depleted from the Houston Texans, um, some of that being, of course, going to the Arizona Cardinals with the likes of DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt, we saw how Watson's statistical output went up, but the team's wins and the record went down to 4-12. and I think it is at least a testament in a lot of regards to how when you're a great quarterback, you can at least keep leading your team, you can play well. But ultimately, your team is not going to be, um, I guess you could say, the quarterback is not going to be isolated from the talent of their team around them. Watson missed the whole last year. Texans were a three-win team. 
you can at least see the impact that I think he would have on a team like the Seattle Seahawks. You mentioned Pete Carroll being a guy who is part of the problem with Russell Wilson, part of why he wanted out of the Seahawks to begin with, because they were not dedicated to building around him versus being this team that would wanted to run the football, win games with defense. You know, on third and one, they would run the ball up the middle. Everyone knew what they were trying to do. And if it was fourth and one, even at midfield, rather than trusting Russ, they would punt the ball back to the opposing teams. It seemed that the relationship deteriorated over time, but they still at least were able to see a Super Bowl run that came out of it. They were able to see uh, a lot of success, perhaps the biggest success they had in Seattle. And it's ended with, of course, Russell Wilson now being on a team like the Broncos, who he beat in the Super Bowl, and a Seahawks team that's probably going to hit the reset button in a similar way to how the Houston Texans have seen a lot of talent depleted or trying to hit the reset button. It's interesting that the Seahawks are trying to catch lightning in a bottle, whereas the Texans are, for lack of a better term, uh, probably tanking away until they can find a way to rebuild essentially their maybe not even just uh, their team, but maybe the organization as a whole. The other ending I think you can look at at least that may be for the story is not even looking at a retiring Big Ben this year, but at Aaron Rodgers, who, despite a lot of drama that went on with the franchise, went and has agreed to a new deal. Probably it seems in the likes of um, a four-year deal. It seems that we've heard $50 million a year get tossed around for a two-time-in-a-row MVP He's about 38 years old, and he probably at this point seems like he's going to be locked in to being a Green Bay Packer now. Of course, things could maybe change a year later, but it feels like as far as what we've seen is one quarterback who their team, things disintegrated. They wanted to stay closer to the coach, the GM. They move on. One quarterback who wants to get out of a situation, and one team that then decided to even withdraw after Jordan Love just two years ago in the first round trading up for him has recommitted to their quarterback. And I think then the area you want to look at for Cardinals fans, we talk about Kyler, a quarterback who maybe isn't the passer Deshaun is uh, as far as for being completely comparable, but is at least a better runner as we've seen. He can scramble around and make plays happen like Watson. How is this story going to end? And I think that's the question, Kent, is how should this story end, you think, for the Cardinals? I would love to see them be able to go much more of the Rodgers route than to see things go maybe a little bit of the Russell Wilson route where you see a poor to middling team fall to the bottom of the NFC West. And suddenly you've got a dissatisfied quarterback who goes on to make plays for a team that is being essentially um, uh, in a different conference, different division that's pushing for a Super Bowl. And you can only wonder about maybe what might've been if you made a few changes, where do you think at least this story is going to end for the Arizona Cardinals? I th I think at the end of the day the the biggest the biggest questions for where this finishes for the Arizona Cardinals doesn't revolve around the Cardinals team themselves. It's going to be do we have a chance to really push forward with the best quarterback in this division, the youngest quarterback in this well not the youngest quarterback in the division, but you've got a the best young quarterback, the best overall quarterback possibly depending on where Stafford ends up in a couple of years. You've got a chance to really push forward with this quarterback, or you can have a Deshaun Watson also come into your division, creating essentially the NFC West being the NFC West that we've come to know and love over the last four or five years, where you could be a team that's capable of winning 
nine or ten games outside of their division, but you could go two and four inside of the division. It's that kind of a competitive beast in the NFC West, and that's only going to get worse for Arizona if Deshaun Watson does end up in Seattle and the Seahawks find a way to maximize his skill set. So I think the biggest part of it is in Arizona, you really need to think we've got to get our quarterback online here. I th- I think it, it it could it could be a bit of a catalyst if the Seahawks do end up with a Deshaun Watson for for Arizona to sort of go well. We really need to to lock in our guy now because you've got a Deshaun Watson in your division, you've got a Stafford in your division, you've got a young Trey Lance coming in through your division. We we need to really lock in this guy now. But I think that's probably the mindset anyway, and it's probably more about numbers and timing than it is about if it seems more of a win type deal with Kyler Murray at the moment. And if Deshaun Watson accelerates that process, then it's great. But if Deshaun Watson also doesn't end up in Seattle, I think Cardinals fans are going to be pretty happy about that too. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I also feel that a lot of this offseason push from what we've seen is almost a pushback on the Cardinals as what we talked about, kind of a Cardinals organization that in a lot of ways they will pay their star players at their prime. But when it comes to the NFL, it can be a what have you done for me lately league. No one, I think, has gone out there and said that Kyler Murray is like the epitome of like the ultimate mature leader. But no one has gone out, I think, and gone on record to be able to talk about the selfishness or uh, the comparison I would even put out would be you look at how things deteriorated not just once, but twice with two different teams for the likes of Carson Wentz. Um, Guys who essentially went out on a limb for him, especially after that Super Bowl year, rumors of tensions that came up when his backup went and won a Super Bowl understandably that's one of the hardest things to do in football. It's part of why for those who are football fans who've seen like Brian's song, or I think at least the Gale Sayers Avenue, um, I believe that entire story, um, if I remember correctly, was about one player having to basically train and coach up his backup to take over. We've seen this happen a time or two with quarterbacks like a Jalen Hurts, who had to basically step aside for Tua Tugavailoa to take over for him. Um, it's ironic, at least, that he ends up now being the guy who takes over and will face Carson Wentz two times a year. But the aspect and avenue, at least, of being able to see that mixed with the reports of the Cardinals coming out on Super Bowl Sunday when maximum amount of eyeballs through Chris Bortenson saying Kyler is a me-first player who needs to mature drastically, it feels very much like, as far as it comes to with it, not simply a negotiation play, but... Simply, I think, as far as it comes to the value of these two sides are trying to find the best way to move forward. And it feels very much like both of them are putting the onus and the weight on each other. Um, It's hard to say, at least, because I think a lot of Cardinals fans would say Kyler's proven himself more than Steve Kime. Others would look at as far as your quarterback as a leader, look at where Cliff Kingsbury has been and wonder, you know, is this a franchise that needs to have a different type, uh, type or a style, at least, of leader? When it comes to the end of the day, I think the hardest part for a lot of Cardinals fans to rectify and put in is there's always going to be, I think, some form of the grass being greener. And in that regard, at least, what I've said is not to necessarily be content, but to essentially look at where if you're saying, hey, this is a 
quarterback who you can say is at least for right now is probably comfortably in the top 10 could probably have swings up into the top five. And that's in a very loaded quarterback type of market in the NFL. It's not the old Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Big Ben, Philip Rivers, four quarterbacks in one division. And then the other side, it seems like it rotates every couple of years for the most part with, you know, up oh, Seattle's present, New Orleans is present, but there's always one team that seems like that they would, um, be able to see that rise or fall with that being, of course, the Tom Brady led NFL. And in the regards for when it comes to Arizona, you're going to be able to say, all right, your goal then is not necessarily to say we have to get better at the position. Your goal is to be able to say, have we identified a franchise quarterback who's capable enough to lead this team to a Super Bowl? And in that regard, I think there's a lot of Cardinals fans who I think in some case, Kent's, I think there's some who know what they have, but maybe for one reason or another have been unwilling to, you know, put some onus on Murray to improve. Uh, I think there's been a certain level that can obviously come to of idealism and sports and athletes that comes down to it. But that aside, I think there's a lot of fans at least who, when it's come up, it says, all right, let's say the Cardinals, how do they get better? All right, well, let's trade for Deshaun Watson. Okay. Give up multiple picks, give up Murray, at least if that's going to be the case. Production-wise, he hasn't been that much better. Can you guarantee that that will push the Cardinals to a Super Bowl versus simply improving the team? And I think the easiest example of this is you take a look at the Los Angeles Rams and you look at the Green Bay Packers. Both of their starting quarterbacks are incredibly different as far as when it's come to perception around the league, and yet both of them have the same number of rings. Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, there's a huge degree, I think, of building an organization, Kent. This is why we talk about it a lot. The Cardinals have always been that team that could build talent but never had a long-term quarterback window to continually compete. And now that they've had this longer-term type of quarterback window, they are going to have to learn how to draft properly and build a team around this quarterback because as it stands right now, Kent, this does switch into the free agency mode. There's a lot of areas and questions on the team that need to be addressed. And as we've seen, the Cardinals are not quite in a position where they can go out and spend and address all of them, but they're not poorly equipped as far as a team that is essentially locked in and can't make any moves whatsoever as having to shed players like the Packers should be, losing guys like Zadarius Smith, losing other players that will be on their team. It's where you kind of in this middle of the road spot with the Cardinals where I think you can look at the franchise and say, I think their quarterback, we can say, is good enough. And even if we feel like he's not good enough, there's enough that we've seen from him, I think, at least, where you can know what you have. And the goal is to build talent around him. We've seen that improvement. I think the question that comes up, at least, is what is it specifically that is bothering teams or people about the quarterback that we continually talk about this rather than talk about building a team around said quarterback I think it's a it's a lot about the perception of the different style of quarterback that Arizona now has and you've never really seen in the NFL that style of quarterback win an NFL championship. You go you know you go back through the the last 10 or a dozen years of champions and who their quarterbacks were. You got Stafford, you got Brady, you've got Mahomes, you've got a Nick Foles, you got Peyton Manning, you got Joe Flacco, you got Eli Manning, you got Aaron Rodgers. The one outlier is a Russell Wilson who was very much a pocket quarterback 
in a Super Bowl driven by an elite defensive unit. And I'm not going to say that Russell Wilson wasn't a big part of that Super Bowl, but that game was over very, very early because of the way Seattle played defensively. And I think the flip side of what, what we look at, you can also look at the the quarterbacks that have been on the losing side of these Super Bowls. You've got a Joe Burrow. You've got a Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe, in the 2019-2020 Super Bowl. You've got a Matt Ryan. You've got a very, very similar skill set of these quarterbacks where it's your tall, strong pocket passer that people still have this view of this is what we need for NFL success. And I I think that blinds people to the teams that have surrounded these players for a long time. You'll you'll do a very good job to understand the defensive support that a lot of these teams have, have been able to be given. And I think to bring it back to the Kyler Murray situation, and what you mentioned around it, in Kyler Murray, the Arizona Cardinals have a quarterback that is capable of winning the Super Bowl. I don't think there's any questions around that. What they don't have right now is the surrounding cast and talent, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, that is capable of winning games week in, week out when it comes to the playoffs. They don't have a team that is capable of picking up a little bit of slack when Kyler's not 100% on his game. And I think part of the whole discussion around Kyler Murray, you go right back to the the start of the situation as well, is that so much pressure for the success of this team rides on the shoulders of Kyler Murray. If Kyler Murray plays well, the Cardinals win the football game. If Kyler Murray doesn't play well, the Cardinals lose a football game. I, th- I think that puts way too much pressure on a guy and we come back to early on in the situation where it was Kyler Murray feels like he's been scapegoated for a late season collapse and he feels like he's picking up all of the blame where there should be more to spread around. And and I think he's he's absolutely spot on with, in terms of not so much maybe being a scapegoat, but teams... And fans externally tend to look and point directly at a quarterback for losing football games. But you go back and look at some of the teams that Arizona was putting out 2008, 2009 through 2011, 2012, 2013. The caliber of play of the quarterbacks was absolutely horrific. And you had teams still capable of winning eight games because there was an elite defensive unit built around quality play both on the outside and on the inside of, of a defense. And I think Arizona needs to build a team that can elevate Kyler Murray and be able to win when Kyler isn't doing 100% of his job perfectly. And I think that's where Arizona has struggled. I think they can help by both getting weapons around him and putting a few pieces in place defensively that really allow Arizona to become that defensive unit as opposed to a group of a few star individuals on that defensive side of the ball that can then be picked apart by attacking a weak link. And I think that's where something free agency comes in and you can look at where 
Arizona has historically looked at trying to to acquire players through draft or through free agency. And I think I I would start off, you're probably looking offensive line and, and free agency as opposed to, to a receiver, a wide receiver, you're probably going to look more towards the draft. I think defensively, your edge rusher is something that Arizona is, has probably been more of a mid-round pick sort of a team and will try and trade or find an elite guy either through free agency or will pay a guy one-year deal late in the process because he's an aging veteran with success and will bring him in. I look at corner, you've probably drafted a lot more guys than paying free agents in that in that position, particularly around guys like Patrick Peterson and Dominic rogers Cromartie, who mm-hmm. both came in and played very well at that position. You go back as far as an intro role who came in as a top 10 pick as a, as a corner. Um, I think looking at that, can you can you can narrow down a little bit some of the targets that you can expect Arizona to look at more in free agency. Definitely. Yeah, it's one of the avenues of how you build a team. And I think we can point to how the Bengals decided to add veteran talent and the draft on the offense. They need still at least some line play, but you can see some room for improvement. We've seen at least how some of them playoff teams that got a bit better. What's interesting, I think, when you talk about the reputation and if you have a quarterback that's good enough to win a Super Bowl, the first thing you have to say is do you have a team and a quarterback who can make a Super Bowl? I think what we've seen for the most part is that you can get to the Super Bowl with a game manager. You can get to the Super Bowl with your typical tall pocket passing quarterback. What's interesting, I think, is just the reputation, because I remember I was talking to someone, at least, and they had the same comment. They were like, I'm a Steelers fan. I don't think that Kyler's got the size to be able to make it and to play in the NFL. I don't think that he has the capacity. I don't, we've never seen a running quarterback ever win a, a Super Bowl, period. And so it caused me to pause for a second, went back and said, so you not consider Patrick Mahomes a running quarterback? Because... That was what I think was interesting was some of that bias that can come into places given the second Super Bowl we saw for him. I believe he ran the equivalent of four football fields running away from that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Uh, I even talked with him about wondering when you're talking about elite quarterback play, pocket quarterbacks, even looking at the likes of Big Ben, his own quarterback, you take a look at that first Super Bowl that he won. Well, most people like we look later as far as you see that explosive offense, the big plays. Everyone remembers the Santonio Holmes catch, obviously, for his second Super Bowl. Uh, people remember slugging it out with the Packers, but really in that game, he had nine completions on 21 passing attempts for 123 yards, and they won a Super Bowl with that performance. He ran for about 25 yards and seven attempts, including a touchdown. It just, I think, goes to show Kent that there is a huge element, I think, that we have as far as. When we talk about with fans and the reputation, like you can even say like a Colin Kaepernick made a Super Bowl before. And if it wasn't for the lights going out in the Superdome, perhaps there is a quarterback at least who's on the record for that sooner. You mentioned, obviously, with some of the different types. I think we're starting to see more of these type of athletic and these other type of competing um, quarterbacks who are there. I just think part of what we've seen, at least for the most part that you're right in, is that it comes down to having a quarterback who can be good enough to not lose you a Super Bowl is one avenue. There's maybe some doubt that Cardinals fans have had after seeing the playoffs. But when it comes to being able to have a quarterback that's good enough to win it, I don't think there's that much doubt that we've seen from Cardinals fans. Maybe there's 
some who have wanted to it, but it is a what have you done for me lately league. And in that regard, I think that people until things change, make up their mind about a player. Like we just see there's reputation that follows regardless. Um, the best example I can think of being, you know, Matthew Stafford, not a franchise quarterback. He now goes out with a different team, wins a Super Bowl. You talk about the likes of a, oh gosh, the um, likes of a Peyton Manning, a guy who was 0-3 for his first three playoff appearances, didn't even hit 200 yards, had in one game, I think, three interceptions, had the entire reputation of he's never going to win you the big one, goes out and wins two rings with two separate teams, albeit a bit later in his career, loses a third Super Bowl to the New Orleans Saints. There's, I think, at least a level of what we've seen as far as when it comes to the NFL. This is where I think I'll wrap up with the Deshaun Watson comparisons before we hop into some of the free agency and how to build the cards. Until you really are able to kind of showcase and be able to build that kind of established play, which comes down to playoff wins, there's always going to be seen that as a detraction because the NFL, in a lot of ways, will chew up and spit out its best and its brightest in the most unfortunate of ways. Um, even a Tom Brady, albeit, people will then spend an, spend an entire offseason talking about whether he was done or not from from performances. Um, people, I think, at least even went back to talking about how, um, you know, like with the likes of a Russell Wilson, is he cooked? Is he not able to play anymore? There's all sorts of these narratives that I think you acquire. And what we've seen, at least for the most part, is that those narratives are only based off of the past. The future may change. Things may get better. They may get worse. Ultimately, it's about having a quarterback who is capable enough to give you franchise stability, that's able to give you consistent performance. And when you do have the capacity to have a special team, gives you a chance year over year. I think that that's what the Cardinals have with the likes of Kyler Murray. It's why I don't think you make a huge move for Deshaun Watson, given that there are teams who don't have that guy are the ones desperate to get back into that picture. Um, we've seen some of the other teams have also made huge moves. We can talk about free agency. There's probably more moves that will be made um, by the time this podcast is released. Let's go into a kind of final dive before we hit the likes of free agency. Uh, I would expect a few more moves that have been made. We've seen Devon Kennard return to the Arizona Cardinals, taking a large enough pay cut. Uh, he saves the Cardinals probably about as much as it would have been if they had released him instead. They're in a bit of a bind when it comes to their edge rushers. You now have Marcus Golden, Devon Kennard. In a perfect world, you probably would want to see Kennard be more of a backup or a starter in a 4-3 type of a situation. Instead, now you're looking at the Cardinals having a need at edge rusher, but being able to bring him back at a salary that ultimately will give him a chance to showcase some of his skills and maybe play for another team next year versus being outright released. I felt like that was a solid move by the likes of Steve Kime. That's one that I think at least though many Cardinals fans were a bit surprised about considering that Jordan Hicks was the guy who was like their captain, their leader on a defensive team. He was the one who was straight up released. Are you surprised as far as with keeping Kennard in that regard? And what would be the other sort of cap moves that you would expect now that we've gotten closer? Um, because I think we can at least identify there's probably one or two more restructures or releases that we'll be seeing from the Cardinals just before we hit next week. Uh, look, I was I was a little bit surprised to see that Canard was extended, but I think that's probably also a function of wanting to be able to go into an offseason, go into free agency and go into a draft without having to go, we really need to get a player who can start at this position. And 
while someone like Devon Kennard played about 30% of the defensive snaps in 2020 and about 25% last year, you have someone who has experience playing 80, 90% of snaps when he was in Detroit, I believe, where he was playing. And and he's had a relative modicum of success. He's he's never been a, a double-digit sack guy, but he's he's always been generally a reliable player, a guy who you can put on the field and expect to do his job. He seems to be a lot more in line with the sort of linebacker edge guys that you saw under a Ray Horton, under a when Ken Wisenhunt was the coach, where you had, you know, your, your Lamar Woodleys, your Chika Kiefers, you had um, there's a number of other names. You had Clark Hagens playing in the position, guys who were older, experienced, going to deliver a role in that position. Um, so I, I'm not going to be someone who is going to be incredibly disappointed if we if we end up having to see a Devon Kennard, Marcus Golden starting edge duo week one. But it's also not a position that you're going to ignore in terms of improving this offseason. I think in terms of the other options or th- that we have have to look at, particularly on in terms of creating creating additional cap space for Arizona, you've got uh, a DJ Humphreys is a guy who is probably ready to extend a contract if the team likes him. You've got probably an above average left tackle there, a position that's not really easy to find someone who is going to be able to do a job on the blind side of a quarterback like Kyler Murray, where you don't know where your quarterback is going to be in any given second of where you are on this play. And I think he's, he's a guy that, that can do enough of a job there that, that paying him for another three or four years is going to be worthwhile. And you can save a significant amount of cap space this year by taking a, a big salary and converting that into a signing bonus and spreading that over four or five years. I look at Justin Pugh, who ideally you would be able to renegotiate with, but like most people, you're probably not going to be able to renegotiate with a guy who's been a starter for a number of years to take a pay cut purely to benefit the team. So this may be an, an area where you see a solid starting player cut to free up cap space to be able to go and find a replacement. It's not going to surprise me if there's no move made at that position either, but it's it's a good avenue for Arizona to try and create a little bit of cap space. I think the easiest call they should make is is a cut of Jordan Phillips, and they can designate that a post June one cut. They can take a ten they can create ten millions in cap savings, take no dead money on that deal. It's it's nothing but a good deal for Arizona for a guy who's barely seen the field and a guy who's not done a done anything that was anything close to what they envisioned when they signed him coming out of Buffalo, I believe. I can't remember if that was where he exactly came from. But there's there's a few a few little pieces you can move mainly on the offensive line, mainly on on the defensive side of the ball. And if you do get a Kyler Murray deal done you're going to look at possibly saving a little bit more cap space there. 
but it's it's not going to be an exercise where you can save cap space and not make your team worse at the same time. So it's it's trying to figure out where where you can save cap space and also be able to have a ready-made replacement come in. And this is where the course of the off-season will play out probably more so with a Justin Pugh. You're going to go and attack free agency and look at what's quite a strong guard class in free agency and go, we're going to lock in this guy at possibly a 4 or $5 million cap hit year one. And then we're going to go cut Justin Pugh and say, sorry, mate, we've found a, found a replacement for your position that's going to give us a $4 million cap hit instead of a $10 million cap hit. We're going to move on from you. As opposed to cutting Justin Pugh to go and make those moves because the cap is a very flexible situation throughout the offseason. I think you can also look at the cap this year and over the next couple of years and understand that there's expected to be a significant increase in the cap between 2022, 2023 and 2024. That means you can probably quite safely sign guys for very low cap hits this year and not put yourself into too much strife against the cap in the next couple of years as well with how that's set set to go on. Right. Yeah. The, the way I think that the NFL is, structure and especially how we've seen with the cardinals being structured is that when it comes to areas like the salary cap if you want to add a player and like desperately get them on you can make moves to be able to negotiate and kind of clear up cap be able to make ways to have that happen if let's say the cardinals had no quarterback and you were one of the teams wanting watson to take on or could take on a massive cap hit we've seen at least the be them be able to restructure or move but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to allow free cap for everyone. A great example, I think, being the Amari Cooper deal, which we've seen. He has a $20 million contract. We've seen how the Browns have taken that entire cap structure on. Cardinals don't have that much in cap space right now. Could they create it if they wanted an Amari Cooper? Sure, but in that regard, not only are you giving up a draft pick, taking that on, taking on an older player, there's an element to having multiple years of uh, being able to get contract control. There's a reason why I think Steve Keim has, for better or for worse, had the right idea when it's come to the idea of value. It's just that the evaluation of talent and fit just hasn't quite been up to par. Um, I do know, at least for the likes of it, when you're talking about being able to add into free agency, being able to see that with Justin Pugh, it'll be unique to know what the Cardinals do on the offensive line, considering that. We're probably going to see um, the likes of uh, Justin Murray go and find a different team specifically so that you can either see a starting or swing tackle role for Josh Jones. Um, you mentioned that with Pew. I do know that the Cardinals, when it comes to what their approach has been, that they're looking heavily at defensive tackle and cornerback with free agency. What will be unique, I think, will be can they keep Justin Pugh? And then the biggest one I think can, we can talk about here is the tight end situation because a lot of rumblings that a team that's very interested in acquiring Zach Ertz would be the Washington Commanders. They have got more cap room than the Cardinals, could probably make a better offer. And for better or for worse, we've talked ultimately about how when it comes to this system of Cliff and their offensive line coach, having a guy who can block and catch and Max Williams at a stable level, as far as maybe not being as dynamic of a receiver, but being reliable, especially in the ground uh, and running the football type of game. 
we felt that we would probably almost be inclined to say if you can keep Burks at the right price, sure, go for it. Might as well. You've got no one else in the tight end room. But there would be probably a limit to some of that because you could get Max Williams back and have him as a starter for the oncoming season, be able to draft a replacement, go cheap in other routes. Um, even if it's draft saying you're going to bring back Max and adding the likes of an OJ Howard who's similar to him and has never really lived up to some of the potential when they were drafted. And I think it was day one for Howard, day two for Williams, but is a solid and capable player. That's one of the areas that I could see being a spot for the Cardinals, as in there may be a lot of talent that walks away from the team that a lot of Cardinals fans may just moan about and want to have back, but it may not necessarily be a negative, Kent, especially if they're going to want to bulk up and actually say, add a high-level contributor on a multi-year deal and push some of that contract down the road. Um, one of the players, at least, to bring up, at least we know that they've, at least kind of through rumblings, have wanted to bring in um, would be a player who's out of the New York Jets. Uh, this would be kind of your quintessential um, nose tackle. Uh, Foley, uh, Foley uh, it's Fadakasi, I believe, is his name. That's one of the specific players, you know, the Cardinals will want to look at to beef up uh, their defensive line. Yeah, and on on Justin Pugh as as a note, he's due a roster bonus in about probably seven days or six days from when this podcast will be released. So it is entirely possible that we see a relatively quick move on on a Justin Pugh because that's a thousand dollars of cash that that he's going to get on day five of the league year if he's on the Cardinals roster. In terms of tight end, I think Zach Ertz is it's the name that people get excited more about than the quality of player. I think he's probably the one Cardinal that benefited the most from the DeAndre Hopkins injury because all of a sudden he became the most reliable pass catcher on the team. You can look at an AJ Green and a Christian Kirk on the team, but neither of them are that reliable, both probably higher peaks, lower seal, low, lower floors than a Zach Ertz, who was going to be very reliable. And that's that's really what a Kyler Murray wants. He wants someone that is reliably going to catch the balls that he puts on them to catch. So I think at tight end, you really want a guy who's going to fit exactly what they want to do schematically. You want to help your offensive line in the running game and in the passing game as well with a guy who can block. But you also want to make sure that, that they're a reliable check down option, which was really when Arizona was rolling early in the season. And Max Williams was the perfect guy to help Kyler get through one, two, three in his reads and then just leak out a little bit and be the guy who was in 10 yards of open space that Kyler could just flip the ball to and say, rumble down the field, big Maxi. And I think it says a lot about Max as a person and a player. When he when he hurt his knee, there was a, a, a massive feeling of of disappointment. Both you could see in the players, but also from from the fan base. And if you if you were gonna bring a Williams or an Ertz back, I would lean towards a Max Williams. But if you look at free agency, you're gonna want to look at a guy who's more aligned with with what Max Williams does more so than what a Zach Ertz does. Uh, if, you, if you're going to look at the, the the defensive line and and cornerback, I think with with 
Fadokasi from the Jets, you're looking at a two-down run defender, essentially. You've got a guy who you can probably put on the field early downs and, and hope that he really helps the guys behind him, helps possibly a Zayvon Collins and an Isaiah Simmons now who, who look to be starting at inside linebacker. A guy that's going to eat up blocks and allow these guys to fly to the football without having to worry about getting off blocks too much or without having to worry too much about um, having offensive linemen running at them at the second level. So he's a guy that I've I've mentioned in the past would be a, a good fit for for that nose tackle role. How much you're willing to pay and and invest into a guy who's probably not going to be uh, someone who who impacts the game when it's really in key situations. I don't know. I would I would look a lot more at the cornerback situation if you're looking at a at a at a at a high priced free agent and really trying to get someone into the team who is capable of of being a high level corner because I look at once Robert Orford went out, Arizona were one of the worst pass defenses in, in the NFL and that's because you have a Marco Wilson who was a fourth round rookie who who struggled with locating the ball and and struggled to try and keep up with some of the better receivers in the league and, and a Byron Murphy who's really hasn't developed like a lot of fans would want him to and and really struggles to to just put consistent performances on the field week after week he often gets a difficult assignment in the slot but he really struggles when he's asked to play outside. And if if you're going to pay a guy like him as your number one or your number two corner, you're going to have to have that guy playing outside a lot. So I I don't think Byron Murphy is the kind of guy who is, unless he takes big strides in the next 12 months for Arizona, I'm not sure he's the kind of guy that you're going to see sign a big deal in Arizona. And I could see the team preempting his departure with a big free agent signing at corner, be it a JC Jackson, be it a Chavarius Ward, be it a Carlton Davis, one of those sort of top end corners in the free agent market. Yeah, I do think the Cardinals, when you're looking at that one for JC Jackson, this probably ties into some of the other news that I think we all have said it was coming, but it's still is shocking to fans every single year, which is Mike Williams, a guy who you say is probably your wide receiver too, like the Michael Floyd big go up and get it type of guy, can make some incredible catches, has had injury issues, um, signing a three-year deal for $60 million or so, uh, about a $20 million a year. Now, obviously, not all of that's going to be guaranteed, but I think that kind of is more of the shot over the bow to be able to tell people, if this is your standard now of 20 millions a year went from Amari Cooper to a Mike Williams, man, JC Jackson should look at that and say, yeah, um, I'd like $25 million a year. Thank you very much as a top 10 cornerback in the NFL. Some would maybe even argue top five um, hitting the free agent market. There's going to be, I think, a level where the Cardinals just won't be able to afford that. I think Carlton Davis, if there is going to be there, would be a much more realistic target for the Cardinals, a guy who can play man, can play cover uh, as far as for zone. Um, I love your statement on with Byron. I think some of the struggle that's come from that is I think some of the misdiagnosis of Arizona and the areas of strength we saw early in the season. His biggest strength was being able to force takeaways. He had had multiple takeaways in multiple games. 
Arizona was also had their pass rush up front was fully healthy. The run defense left a bit to be desired, but you could at least see that the way they played their coverages with Alford in there, they were able to switch back between corner and man, but really they thrived. And I think Byron did his best job when he's able to play zone coverage and being able to be in that slot, not necessarily locking up, you know, the big number one guys on different teams, but being able to be in position to make plays on the ball, being able to blitz from the slot if need be. You can see there's kind of some specialized areas for him. What's been ironic, I think, for the Cardinals has been, you know, they've got multiple guys such as Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker who could probably fill that same type of role. And even in Isaiah Simmons, we've seen has the capacity to, if need be in a pinch, play a little bit of that type of a corner slash blitz role. Um, he's best, obviously, being able to use that size and length for the most part, either to rush the passer or be able to cover a man downfield. And I think that some of the injuries and the adaptability of the Cardinals or maybe some of the lack thereof has kind of exposed some of their limitations down the stretch, especially once teams realized without J.J. Watt in there, they were able to just run the ball at will on Arizona for big plays. And Arizona was not able to simply, you know, rush four, drop back seven, or be able to blitz a guy off the side for maybe four or five. I do agree with you that it did expose Murphy in some of that result as far as for that regard, but he also was being asked to play, like you said, positions that were not necessarily part of his strengths. And that's just one of the avenues of when we talk about with building a team, being able to build depth and even expectations that you would have for some of these type of guys. I think there's a good chance at least that the Cardinals are going to have to find a way to address this type of coverage because, like you said, there's a need that they're going to have up in the front of the defensive line, getting someone up at the nose level position. Um, Calais Campbell, can his back hold up at least, even at his age? I know a lot of Cardinals fans would love to see him uh, on the sideline again. I feel the team is probably going to end up trying to go for a little bit more of a cheaper route. The real question then that flips around is going to be looking at the offensive side. Now, we've, this is kind of the crux of we see A.J. Green leaving. There is frustration late in the year. I, I think part of what you can tell at least was Green was not able to step up into the number one role. Uh, he was getting probably at some point, you know, eight, uh, nine targets a game, was only catching about half of those. We saw that the speed and separation just wasn't quite there. His best overall performance and production was really when he had DeAndre Hopkins on the other side of him and he was able to make a living off of that cornerback two spot. We also could see Christian Kirk in his role of the slot receiver being able to get separation, especially as being the deep guy in that offense over the middle of the field. Really things dropped off when Hopkins went away and we've seen how Green is probably going to be a spot that the Cardinals won't want to bring back versus trying to find a younger, cheaper upgrade. Um, perhaps it's in the draft. You could get by with, um, you know, a wide receiver four um, for the most part. At least we got to see um, one of their players, at least that they brought up. Oh, gosh, the name escapes. Antoine Wesley. Antoine Wesley in some of that role. I think the biggest thing, at least overall, is what a lot of Cardinals fans have been surprised about is the reports that Christian Kirk age 24, hitting for agency, maybe getting up to $15 million a year, which while that may be shocking for the role that he's played with the Cardinals, when you talk about the bidding that goes on, how a lot of teams may see him as a number two option for their offense, it really makes you look at and say, this is a guy that the Cardinals are probably letting walk. They're going to move to the likes of Rondell Moore and either draft a replacement for Kirk directly if Moore is going to be a gadget guy or be able to say, hey, this is a guy that we can give a little bit more of the, 
kind of gadget role too. He's got a little bit more of speed. He can probably be able to have a little bit, hopefully more consistency in some regards than Kirk has. That's one of the spots I think at least that has still been kind of shocking to a lot of Cardinals fans. And I think you did a great job of pointing out how in a large essence, you know, while Kirk at least had one season with Rosen where he was the only consistent receiver on the Cardinals for the most part, um, that entire season, Kyler essentially in a lot of ways is getting Kirk paid this offseason because they had a dynamic and very efficient connection. But a lot of Cardinals fans are saying $15 million a year, yeah, he's not worth all of that. And I think that's where there's an interesting dichotomy of, you know, the value that Kirk has versus the value that he may have to a team outside of the Arizona Cardinals in free agency. And I think it's, you mentioned Mike Williams as well. I think it's really the value of a wide receiver in the market these days, you see the impending free agents and the free agents get paid these massive sums of money. And it's why personally I've been focused heavily on a draft aspect for replacement of those, of those targets off offensively. And I, I, I look at, I look at particularly with Kirk green and Ertz, you've got 280 targets there, 270, 280 targets from last year that Arizona is going to need to replace. Now you're going to have DeAndre Hopkins back this year. You're going to have uh, hopefully another tight end come in there. You're going to have possibly an Antoine Wesley on the outside, depending on, on what they find to replace the AJ Green on the outside. And you're going to have Rondell Moore both healthy and in a more expanded role. But that receiver position is definitely one that Arizona needs to address. I just don't see that they're going to be able to address that position in free agency without throwing monopoly money at someone that they they just do not have. And I would go back to JC Jackson's probably the only person that Arizona can afford to throw monopoly money at this year. And if they were to go that way, I would be more than happy with that. But I also understand if, if they don't take that direction, I just look at particularly through the history of Arizona, through the, the, the best years of a Patrick Peterson, through the best years of a Dominic Rogers Kamadi, it was that corner that you can rely on just means so much for a good pass defense because you can then match up that guy with one receiver and then you can flood the other side of the field or you can confuse a quarterback with, with the matchups that you're going to be playing elsewhere. And it just elevates the team so far. So the value that a number one corner has in the NFL is incredibly high. And I also think it's probably the hardest position in the NFL to fill. It's either that or, or a three tech pass rusher where you're getting interior pressure, both positions that Arizona really needs to address this off season unless they're they're thinking that a JJ Watt can really step up in that in that position. Um, I, w- I go I'll, I'll come back to Byron Murphy as well. Just a, a, another note. Like the 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 takeaways that he was creating early season, while yes, often a a, a functionality of a of of 
schemed up almost as far as for putting him yeah. in that position to make a play on the ball, being able to bait like a great example. I remember was the Stafford throw early in the season. You see, there's at least a print of pressure that they go. It looked like it was an area where it looked like a guy was going to be wide open. And instead Murphy ended up essentially carrying him down. They had safety help over the top that they kind of baited Stafford into saying, Hey, we're going to rush a cover zero. You're going to have a wide open guy in the middle of the field with one-on-one coverage just has to beat his man. And instead, it turned into where it was an underthrow that happened, where instead of your receiver going up to make a play, the safety was there to cut him off. Murphy is able to just turn around, pick off the ball that's flying up in the air. We've seen in that regard, you can say it's a great job of film watching to be able to recognize tendencies that you can see for different players to um, kind of push them into making some of these bad decisions. I think you can even argue the Rams did the same to Kyler Murray on the goal line by just saying, hey, let's get him some backside pressure force him to try to run while he's in the end zone. He made a dumb decision, at least for that one, trying to get the ball out of the end zone, because what we've seen with Kyler is he just does not like taking safeties. <laughs> That's one of the things that you can at least say on film is we've seen Kyler tries to trust his legs. He can make a play. Um, that's something that goes back to that first year. But I think you're right in terms of that's the one guy that I think you can feel confident about as far as being able to say, yeah, this is the premium player you want to pay for, which is why I think it's going to be really tough to be able to bring him in. It's why I think that the likes of a Carlton Davis, like you said, may be more realistic, but then do you want to pay a $14 million a year contract for a guy who's been a good young corner for all of that stuff, who can play man coverage against a number one receiver, but there's also been a spot where you're like going to say, is that one of those guys you could say that when you're going to be paying them 14 million a year, when maybe you're saying this guy is worth a $10 million a year contract, there's always a level of free agency to where like the best example I think you can say is a Christian Kirk. What would Cardinals fans want to pay him? Probably about $7 million a year, maybe up to 10. If he was to continue the 2021 type of season, they would look at 15 million a year and say, man, that's, that's not something I would want to pay in free agency. And that's where I kind of agree with you. As far as when it comes to the corner spot, I won't be mad if they are able to bring in a type of corner, but it does feel like in this regard, you're going to be having to trust the draft for that. And a lot of other different positions, particularly wide receiver, which I think will be um, next as we're going to talk about. But did you want to mention anything else on the corner side, at least before I moved on to that? I, I think specifically at corner and we, we, we did see that, uh, that, that, that interception against the Rams from Byron Murphy. You, you also see whether it, whether it's baiting or whether it's just not being able to, to follow a guy down the field that, that when that throw is made, Byron Murphy is probably six or eight yards off his, off the guy that he's supposed to be covering. It's it's a risky strategy to try and to try and implement that long term because you you're going to give up a lot of big plays. Some of his his other couple of interceptions, I believe he had two against the Jaguars in in what was Trevor Lawrence's second NFL game. So there's there's a few little bits and pieces there that just really worry me about about Byron Murphy and his his long-term ability to to be a high-end corner in the NFL. To to touch on a couple of other other names, Carlton Davis is a very interesting one, though he's probably he can do anything. He's probably a hell of a lot better suited playing uh, a cover three, cover four type scheme, which which Arizona does run a lot of. Um, unless they're they're throwing bodies at the quarterback when they tend to go man. Shavarius Ward is a is a good name that I I like in terms of 
his ability to play coverage, whether he's a number one guy or a number two two guy is is probably going to be the biggest question in, in how you pay him. I, I would not be completely against bringing a Robert Orford back on a team-friendly deal if that is what something pops up. I look at Stephon Gilmore as the older possible option there, but you've seen generally corner as a position where players really fall off as they get older because it is such a heavily reliant position on athleticism unless you're going to be playing significant amounts of of zone coverage and really just allowing guys to drop off and sit in soft zones and, and make plays. I guess another one, uh, Akello Witherspoon is probably the last name I'll just throw up there. Really a guy who's who's floated around the league. He's not really a, an elite guy. He's got a lot of size. He's got good talent to play a number of different roles. Are you going to get the best out of him? Who knows? He's he's spent some time in San Francisco. He spent some time in Pittsburgh. He had a, a pretty good season in 2021 on a limited number of snaps. Probably a guy who you can bring in, you know, buy low and and hope to hope to get the best out of. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's one of the ones as far as with the San Fran, we've seen a lot of them being able to kind of have some of that cover three type. And I think we've even seen how that's what Vance Joseph would prefer to have would be a strong pass rush up front, being able to force takeaways. Um, We've seen him play a lot of man coverage as far as when it's needed, especially when they keep seems to keep getting further and further down the depth charts. You end up seeing more and more. It seemed like man coverage being played specifically because they're having to manufacture a pass rush. I too like Ward as far as he can hold up outside. He can take on a number one type of corner, maybe not the same upside as a Carlton Davis, but yeah, he's also a solid tackler for the most part. And he's a guy that instead of say, if you're looking at say 25 million ish a year, which I could see J.C. Jackson getting, especially if some of the top teams who have the most amount of cap room will start trying to bid in on him. Goes if Carlton Davis ends up being at about fourteen million a year, could you get Ward for ten to eleven million a year and be content with it? I think you would because you would get a guy who's able to be a solid tackler, who's able to be um, out wide at least playing man coverage outside. He may not be the guy that you would want in a one-on-one situation outside as far as that lockdown corner that every NFL team loves to have. But that would be one of those places where I think that you would say, yeah, that would be a solid move for the Cardinals. The moves as far as with older players, like you said, almost like the in case of emergency break glass for a one-year deal of a Gilmore in case of a one-year deal for the likes of a Casey Hayward. Like you said, it's one of those spots where you would prefer to, with Byron Murphy, not have to worry about some of that where you could get a guy on a multi-year deal so that if Murphy balls out and prices himself out of Arizona's um, contractability to retain him, you could at least not have to worry about you know going into the draft and being able to say, hey, Byron's gone and we still need a number one after this corner left or... You know, if in the case of a Robert Alford, at least for the most part, who hasn't finished the season strong, the team wanting to move on, you'd end up in a similar spot to their tight end room where they've got basically a bare cupboard left, which will be very interesting. I'd forgotten until I think I looked up and someone mentioned it that, yeah, the reason why Washington make want Zach Ertz back is due to Carson Wentz being their quarterback there now. What we can at least confirm about is the Cardinals will need to make that type of a move at the receiver position. They'll be losing Kirk, losing the likes of um, A.J. Green. I think that the biggest thing that we can see is if they're going to give more snaps to Rondell Moore, 
put in more of that Kirk type of role, if they bring back Max, bring in another tight end, you're really only going to be looking to need to fill one position. You've got your backup outside guy that's likely to be back with the team in Wesley. So the question is, do you look at the draft or the free agent market? And I think there's very few names here in the free agent market that I would actually have interest in. I I don't feel like a Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy who will be anything more that you could see as that outside role. I think he's much more of a big slot. You're talking about some of these high amounts of players who've been retained as well by their teams, um, which has been really interesting to see like, hey, we're talking about at least ultimately um, some of these players, even the likes of an Allen Robinson, a guy who may be worth it making some $16 million a year. Uh, That's just something at least as far as it comes to with Arizona that I don't think they'll want. The only guy that seems to be at least in some cases tempting to me that I could see as being a great fit uh, would be if they decided to toss some money toward the likes of a DJ Shark out of Jacksonville. He's coming off of injury. He did have a thousand yard season on a terrible Jaguars team. But you're talking about length, speed and being an end zone threat, which when you looked at what the Cardinals used with A.J. Green, he had two of those three. Um, He didn't have the speed to be able to separate or be dynamic in that regard. Um, The Cardinals don't seem to be, I think, in the trade market as far as it would come to um, we've seen them not even being willing to go after the likes of um, trading for a guy like an Amari Cooper. I think the question, at least here, is can is there anyone on the market who interests you? Maybe I could see them if they wanted to go with the Steve Keim approach of always bring in a vet because you don't want to have to be pushed into one specific position. Uh, the likes of a Marquez Valdez Scantling comes to mind. Uh, the likes of a cheap option of Will Fuller comes to mind, reuniting him with DeAndre Hopkins, giving you some of that speed and separation outside. There's injury risks to each of those guys, though. I think I kind of lean with you. I'd prefer they would find a result through the draft for someone here. But what would be some of the um, options for Murray, at least, before the season would start that the Cardinals could look at in free agency? I really think, given given Kyle Murray's strength throwing vertically, probably the best option when you combine team fit with affordability, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is probably going to be the guy that fits best with how he plays the game, how he fits into what that outside receiver is going to do. And is it going to happen? I don't know. It's it's probably something that would help Kyler vertically, but can he do anything else? Is there... Are, are you putting essentially a one-dimensional deep threat on the other side from a DeAndre Hopkins and saying, well, we're just going to send this guy deep every play. We're going to play Rondale Moore out of the slot and we're going to have DeAndre Hopkins doing DeAndre Hopkins things. That's an option. I I wouldn't mind something like a, a one-year deal for a Sammy Watkins who now coming close to 30, he's got a lot of physical talent. He's generally a pretty good player but he's never really lived up to some of the promise when he was drafted in the top five. I think putting him outside opposite, opposite of DeAndre Hopkins with a Rondale Moore in the slot can, could probably free him up to show a little bit more of, of what he can really do in the NFL. And I think he's probably capable of being a low end number two type guy. Um, but outside of that, there's not really anyone that fits the, the affordable Affordable receiver, schematic fit at receiver, size and skill set fit at receiver, 
that that really means that Arizona is going to be that keen on on bringing them back. Yeah, the, there's a possibility that it may be a wide receiver cut candidate at least is a possibility for maybe there's someone who's not out there on the market yet. Um, but I think I'm with you at least. Watkins is a guy who would be a one-year affordable. His production has at least tailed off, whereas Valdez Scantling, you kind of know who he is. He's going to be looking to cash in a bit. Um, you at least see he's a guy that makes you a better team when he's on the field, especially as being able to have a deep play threat where teams would focus attention on Devontae Adams. Um, it'll be something that, like you said, the emphasis on where it's going to come from for Arizona, I think is going to be likely through the draft. Um, we've talked a little bit about the offensive line with some of the performance for some of that, uh, when it comes to the cornerback room for all of that stuff. Um, when it comes to, as far as the edge rushers, I think we can kind of be in agreement at least here of the best case for Arizona. I think in some regard, Unless there's going to be a high-level edge rusher there at 23 to draft, I could see the Cardinals going way more onto the interior defensive line for the most part. We've talked a little bit how they'll maybe not add a playmaker there. That's what you have for J.J. Watt. But I could see a like one-year kind of prove-it type of deal to an older pass rusher that could come in to kind of rotate with Devon Kennard. You've got Marcus Golden under a year. The one interesting name that you could pop up that we know Arizona has interest in would be Hassan Reddick coming back to the Cardinals. You're not looking at anything more than for what Chandler Jones may make at $20 million a year. Maybe you get it maxed out to $10 million a year, and it's going to be a shorter-term deal because, you know, if a team really thought that Reddick was going to be proven, even after two years in a row of going out and doing what he did of getting double-digit or close to double-digit sacks, it seems that teams are content to see him as this low-upside type of situational rusher who... You know what he can do? He can speed rush the passer, be able to collect stacks, a sack statistically, is not one of those guys who is going to be an elite guy, but he's going to be effective in that role. And if you're going to play and ask him to drop back in coverage and man coverage, he can do that just fine if he knows the assignment. It's when he gets into playing zone and you can see the lack of instincts that seems to pop up. Uh, him being able to be in that Sam strong side pass rusher role with Golden being kind of on the left tackle side feel like it was a perfect fit that we saw for him and then he got the opportunity late in the season to kind of feast on low level um, talent do you think that Reddick is one of those players at least that the Cardinals should be able to kind of go and pursue or is this kind of one of those options of when you're talking about with the player you're talking about what we've seen from Arizona I mean I, I felt like it's almost they admitting that they had miscast him for that role but he also wasn't good in Arizona for the first few years. It took him a while to develop. I wouldn't have any issues with bringing him back to the Cardinals, especially if you're talking about a deal that's not necessarily this long-term franchise edge rusher type of years and type of money attached. And I, th I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the Hassan Riddick situation is one that is going to be probably team friendly for wherever he ends up because Hassan Reddick is a player who really doesn't fit with a lot of teams and what they want from that position defensively because you've got a guy who essentially can't play any role in a traditional 4-3 four-man defensive front because he's not going to be able to uh, reliably stand up in coverage at any stage because he's going to ask to be played too much zone if he's playing linebacker and 
being a guy who's 6'1", 230, 235, he's not going to be able to play hand-in-the-dirt defensive end at that position. So you really limit both the teams who are going to be interested in him and how much those teams are going to be willing to pay him. You mentioned $20 million a year. I'm thinking you might be able to get a guy like Hassan Reddick on on somewhere in the 11 to 13, maybe 12 to $14 million a year range because he's not going to have a lot of people chasing his services and he needs a really specific role fit within a defense to succeed. So I would, it's definitely someone I would be keeping an eye on. You know what he can bring to the table you know that he's he's going to be a good culture fit for that building because he's been there for a while. It's probably something that's a, a swallow your pride and admit we screwed this up sort of a move from your front office and whether they're capable of doing that, I don't know. But but again, he's he's a guy that is is at his best when you can just let him go attack the passer, go rush the passer, go attack the offense and and create havoc. So it's really something that I don't, I'm, I'm, I just query what kind of market's going to be out there for him in terms of other pass rushes. Look, it comes back to affordability, willingness to play here and team fit. And I think on the edge, there's probably a guy like a Melvin Ingram, who's 32 and played across three teams in two years as, as a possibility to be an impact edge rusher on a one-year deal if he's still available at the back end of, of the free agency process. You might be looking at a Justin Houston, who's a rotational pass rusher kind of guy who's really been productive over his career. But again, you're talking about a guy who's in his early 30s, similar with a Jerry Hughes, a guy in his early 30s. You can put in that defined pass rush role, but you're not going to get that full defensive put him on the field he's playing a thousand snaps for us this year you're probably getting 500 600 snaps out of these guys um obviously i mentioned earlier that i really would have loved harold landry he signed a big deal in tennessee so he's going to be getting his money smart there. by them smart by them smart <laughs> by them he's going to be getting that big deal um so i really think Look, that, that those are positions that unless someone gets cut, you're not you're going to be looking at a Hassan Redick, or you're going to be looking at a, at a veteran on a one year deal, or you're going to be rolling with Golden and Canard off the edge with uh, a two years removed from ACL Dennis Gardick, po- possibly providing some some energy and some effort off the bench. Yeah, no, there's some players that are very interesting. Like you said, Ingram was a guy that was requested a mid season trade. Um, with his age, I think that he's probably one of the players, at least that you could say maybe is a bit better at, than, uh, than the uh, typical Hassan Reddick. But Hassan Reddick in Arizona, as far as that fit for what you may get with the price for that, that's something I could totally see being the case. It's even one of those avenues where I think when you're talking about for with um, the player, we've seen, I think, a little bit of inflation as far as because of some of those sack numbers. We've seen at least in a lot of different ways some limitation. The only other player that I think that maybe you could at least look at when this would be, of course, like a big contract would be you decide to pay one year, maybe hold out a little bit, somewhere between 12 to 16 million for reuniting Jadavian Clowney with the Cardinals. I think the only way you go to that route is if 
with the contract you give Hassan Reddick, he gets offered more dollars and more gears by someone else. They see more in him. Um, otherwise, like that, I agree with you, like the Houston, even a Jerry Hughes for that one, you might be able to see at least with how that is for both of those guys as pass rush specialists. That's one of the places where I think you can plug that in. I think that's more likely, at least, than the Cardinals going to the draft and making an edge rusher um, an emphasis because, like we've looked at, they've got probably, at least in some regard, a choice to make with they can bring some guys in on the defensive tackle side, bring someone in on the offensive line for a bit cheaper, but they're still going to have needs at the receiver, at the defensive tackle, at the offensive line spot. You've got three picks that you're going to have. Now, potentially could Arizona trade back at another fourth rounder. Uh, probably I could see that being a Steve Kime type of move, especially if he feels that there's depth at that position for the players that they would want. Um, as we kind of wrap up and get the last part of our show here, looking right now at that 23rd pick overall, I don't see Arizona making a huge jump or trade up. I don't know if I see them trading back from that 23rd pick. There's probably going to be someone who's a top 15 player on their board who ends up kind of falling to that spot. Uh, for the listeners, we wrap up for that one. Obviously, things will change in free agency. You might say, oh, yeah, they could go with the receiver there. And then the next thing you know, like they actually, you know, trade a second round pick and bring someone in who's going to fill that spot. Just like we saw the Cardinals do when we were um, seeing people advocate for, you know, C.D. Lamb over and Isaiah Simmons that year. Some wanting to get a offensive tackle prospect in that regard. What would you see as far as with the Cardinals after free agency kind of plays out? Let's say that they have addressed each of the different spots we've mentioned in some fashion for the most part. They've got the flexibility to add to their team. What would you be looking at if you're a Cardinals fan with that pick for someone who would be expected to start and play right away? I, it, it, it's, really, it's really tough to sort of answer that question without understanding exactly who they've bought in. To, if they've bought in a, a veteran body at each of those positions and you're really going, all right, who's, who's the guy who we can rely on at this position to, to start for a significant number of yeah, years like down the line? Best guy that you're kind of looking for for the most part. You filled kind of your needs, quote unquote, you're looking for impact. What would be kind of either the player, maybe looking at the position that you would love to see, at least for Arizona. That, that's, that's, I think, <laughs> we're on the same page for that of what they're looking for. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to see, there's a, there's a number of guys, I would love to see someone like a Jermaine Johnson. I don't think he ends up at 23, given he's probably going to slide, slide out somewhere in the probably top 15 these days. I, I would look at uh, possibly a, a Drake London, depending on where he's going to fall out athletically, because he is very much the type of wide receiver that is going to fit exactly into what Arizona wants. You get a couple of other guys with that vertical threat speed that you could pick up in uh, in the second and third round in terms of uh, Pierce and Watson from Cincinnati and uh, North Dakota, I believe. The one guy who I've been pushing a lot, who I really like that a lot of other people seem to be a, probably a little bit uh, cooler on is Devontae Wyatt from, from Georgia. The type of guy who you, you, you've got a guy who's just going to be able to create interior pressure and, and Arizona have been victims of, of Aaron Donald crimes for a long time and just how he completely dominates offensive linemen and Devontae Wyatt isn't going to be that good he can be a Chris Jones type of player. He can be what Arizona wanted to get out of Robert Kimdichie. It's a position where in this sort of draft range, 
Arizona has addressed the position twice under Steve Kime with, with, well, I'm not, not quite sure whether Dan Williams was Steve Kime, whether it was back end of Rod Graves, I can't quite remember, but with Dan Williams and Robert Kimdichie, you've got two guys on that interior defensive line that have been addressed through the back end of a first round before. And Devontae Wyatt, it's a, a position that I think is incredibly difficult to fill. It's a guy who is an athlete. It's a guy who has some pretty clean technical skills. He has played four years at Georgia in the SEC. He was all first team all SEC. He was big in big games. It's it's just a guy who I think really fits what I would like to see Arizona do in, in that area and and be able to create more of the, the Darnell Dockett type into interior pressure that really led to some strong defensive teams in Arizona. Right, yeah. I, I would have no issue taking Wyatt at 23. There's maybe not as much length as someone would like to see with it, um, but that's not something that I'm as, I think, worried about in some regard. He really did an awesome job at helping himself with the combine. Um, he did show a lot of explosiveness as far as it came to um, being able to show the quick get off. There's going to be at least some issues that you can see like on some film. But ultimately, when you're talking about having this type of disruptor, like it's hard to say that he could be Chris Jones because Chris Jones has been maybe the second best interior disruptor in the NFL over the course of the last um, decade. And that's only due to the fact that, you know, J.J. Watt has been injured too often to be able to have that crown. Um as far as consistency's sake, I would have no issues if the Cardinals did have that type of interior disruptor for the most part. Uh, do think at least that he's going to be a plus disrupt, uh, a plus guy that you could talk about as far as a starter, you, a guy that you'll be able to say is one of the better interior players. You really got to see him splash on that Georgia, uh, Georgia line, even though Jordan Davis for his height and size um, was probably maybe more athletic in his regard. Um, quite, people have questioned if he's a two down type of player. You could also see the, uh, the and this kind of fits Arizona, the versatility of where he can move from a defensive tackle or rushing over the nose to a defensive end to even you could put him on the edge if you wanted to and he'd be able to hold up or play super well. That's one of the spots I think that they could go. Um, I could see at least right now the question I had someone ask me, which was interesting, was, you know, if you had to pick offensive line or defensive line, the question that I was asked was, would you pick a Chris Olave over one of the offensive line performances? We've talked a bit. The two guys that seem likely to be there, and it'll depend obviously on what a team like Pittsburgh, who could have some needs, would do. Um, also, where a receiver could go a pick before with the Oakland Raiders, um, seeing a lot of their picks either traded away for where they invested in or no longer in the NFL. Um, the Olave is interesting because I think. There's areas where I feel like that he's got a very safe floor, maybe not the highest form of ceiling. The two guys I would almost prefer over him just from a team build and due to essentially the depth of the draft, I think you could get a guy who fills that Cardinals outside role somewhere on day two. So the two guys at least that seem to pop up and we've seen it in mocks are Boston College's Zion Johnson um, transferred in from, uh, I think it was D2 College. I believe it was Davidson, unless I'm mistaken, then came in to essentially um, be a guy who's quickly risen up the rankings in the Senior Bowl. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M is another name that slotted there. With, with Kyler, you and I have both been on the same page for a number of years of get him a pocket in front when he did have a pocket in front and weapons. 
uh, earlier this year. He was essentially leading the NFL in 81% completion rate from the pocket, which most people didn't understand that like he's, this is who he was at Oklahoma. He wasn't necessarily this running scrambling quarterback or a Lamar Jackson, like all can run the football type and then take the deep plays. He is a guy that you can get that pocket in front and let the teams just push those tackles up the field because he's going to use those legs um, and likes to be comfortable in the pocket. I could see that being the case for the offensive side. Would you lean more toward just getting more of that certified weapon or getting the offensive lineman? I feel like that there's one name in particular that I would prefer at the receiver spot. If you were to go for one in the first round, I don't think I would at this point right now, if you could get one of those guys who could protect in front, build the lines in front of him, get a guy who can be a difference maker and a plus starter, possibly from, you know, day one, what would be your kind of inclination as far as the team building at pick 23? The, the off, the offensive line versus receiver debate is going to be, uh, <laughs> be never ending. I, uh, it's probably, I would probably go a, if you can, if you can get him at 23, a Canyon green would probably be my top, my top selection there but it, it's probably i would go Kenyon green i would then go with drake london over a zion johnson but there's there's not many of those receivers there i'm a big fan of both garrett wilson and chris Olave. i'm just not quite sure that they really fit the true mold of what arizona want in their outside receivers we've seen them be very very specific with the bodies that they've brought in with Antoine Wesley and AJ Green and how DeAndre Hopkins is used. I, I'm not entirely sure that a Chris Olave or a Garrett Wilson, both very good, very good receivers, very good football players, very fast. They can take the top off of defense. I just I'm just not sure they're the the contested catch, go up and catch a 50-50 ball that Kyler lobs out there for you, despite what uh, Garrett Wilson did against Clemson when he was a freshman. We've seen There's, them do it. We just haven't seen it to that spot of what Arizona asks in their offense, I think, consistently. And they're smaller guys too, compared to like the six four Drake London, obviously. Yeah, and, and Drake London has that basketball background. He he is very, very natural going up and just plucking the ball out of the air. It's it it probably is the best schematic fit if you look at those guys early on in Arizona. But yeah, it's I would probably look offensive line if you can get the best guys in the class. It's a combination of the depth of the receiver class versus the depth of the interior offensive line. Right. But, but I would also hope that Arizona's probably got their five starters on the offensive line sorted before we hit the draft, and you can then look at weapons in the draft. Right, and like you said, like if there's a Drake London's there at 23 as far as when you're talking about, like there may be questions about like some of the areas as far as that. We've seen enough ability for separation outside and the jump. It's kind of like if someone said – it would be like if Cliff could design a receiver for that air raid scheme that would be able to fit for each of the things that we saw from AJ Green and someone who could be on the opposite side, it would probably look a lot like a Drake London would be the area. The player that I like that I feel like fills, we may see the Cardinals fill some of the need, but you'd have to kind of scheme up things a little different. Um, Bama's Jamison Williams coming off of an ACL late in the year, so the question about his early availability would be one of the spots 
He's in a lot of different ways, I would argue, the kind of Jalen Waddle light. I think Waddle's more electric, especially when it comes to in short places. But we've seen Williams with that speed be able to take on a different dimension. It would give you a very different type of offense. You would have to essentially change the way that you've done plays to where you'd probably be shifting Rondale more some into that outside role and being able to have a inside out type of 11 personnel where you're probably not going to have that big outside target. Your offense would by under cliff have to change dramatically, but you would get a guy who would for the first time be a proven deep threat. Who's able to essentially stretch the field. Um, I would lean toward putting Rondale in that type of role and see if he can have that and then try to build a different level. You know, there would be a weird avenue of saying, hey, we're going to basically keep Rondale in his role as a gadget player and we need to go out and not only say we're not going to give Christian Kirk, you know, uh, is that role to Rondale. We have to upgrade from Christian Kirk's role. I think you could do that, but it wouldn't be maybe the best type of place. I don't see Traylon Burks as being a fit for a lot of places. Um I do think that, like you said, the likes of Wilson Williams will be off the field for each of those places. It's where round two gets interesting. We'll talk more about that in some of the future for some of the guys who will fit there. Um, but I think I kind of side with you as far as if there's one of those types of players or fits, I do think it would be up London's alley. Or if I'm just saying we're going to go ahead and say this and Williams, this is a guy who probably would in a normal year be like a top 15 type player because of that speed and with how we've seen how it drastically alters an offense like the example I think of at least is people looked at Will Fuller and that speed going top 15 and went that's that's kind of crazy why why would a player like that go top 15 and then you see the performance on the field of how it drastically changed those Deshaun Watson led offenses with how it opened things up for DeAndre Hopkins it is a factor at least for those places for the most part and that's something I think we can see as far as for Arizona how they're going to build um, the fortunate aspect is it is a fast receiver class. You can look at that depth area, and I don't think you have to go out and get one of those guys to essentially take the place. Um, I think it does come down to looking at the offseason. Will the Cardinals address things on the defensive side, um, or would they look to the offense? Because right now, at least on paper, Kent, it does seem like this is a offense versus defense type of pick at 23, and then it comes to your flavor of do you want this interior disruptor or more of this interior protector if i had to flip a coin right now i would lean toward that offensive protector just because of how you've invested on defense the past few years but that would be like a 51 percent going for the guard and 49 percent adding a disruptor like the likes of Devonte wyatt it'll be interesting to get to especially if the cardinals are not able to fill this number two wide receiver role just due to the amount of money that they're being paid in free agency um, compared to the likes of all of these different types of veterans, solid players that you'll be able to find at a cheaper rate for the most part. Yeah, and look, you, you can even go a little bit further down the draft and and you look at a guy like Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama, these these sort of guys who have the ability to to go up and get the ball at times and and have a little bit of enough of deep speed that you're going to see a lot of those receivers come off the board between probably 33 and 70. You're probably going to see, you might even see 10 receivers, 10, 12 receivers come off the board in that area. And we've seen that a lot uh, over the past few drafts where you're seeing a lot more collegiate receivers entering the draft because of how the college game has developed. So there is the depth at that position that really allows you 
to go after guys in the second round to fill a role, a spot on your team. Uh, to finish up around interior protection versus uh, interior disruption, I'm probably more of an interior disruption kind of guy. I just think it's it's so valuable to to move a quarterback off their spot. Um, edge rushes are great, but if if all they're doing is forcing the quarterback to step into a clean pocket, they're really achieving nothing. If you're getting interior pressure, then that quarterback has to go off script. It ruins the timing of the offense and, and almost immediately. And it's, it's just such a valuable resource to have. Um, I guess you can flip that argument and say, well, if interior disruption is so key then interior protection is just as important. It, it is. It's I right, look draft wise I would pro I would prefer to to go offensive line and free agency defensive line in in the draft as opposed to the other way around. Right, and that's one of the avenues of and this is kind of where it comes down to uh, if you're going to build an identity over having you know two elite playmakers for the most part with DeAndre Hopkins and adding a second guy you can do that I think um, it just is a level of trying to build a complete team at least for that one. Uh, and like you said, there's other guys, at least for that one. Like I love Jalen Tolbert as far as the ability that we've seen, even at a small school, you could bring him along a bit slower considering the fact you've got Wesley there. Um, Alec Pierce is one of those players, at least that just seems to do nothing but perform. Some people even mentioned, like, could you take a chance on a Justin Ross to fill that AJ green role at six, four, a lot slower, but it's able to be more contested um, has had injury issues for that one may fall in the draft from at one point. It seemed like he was a surefire first round pick. Um, the last spot, I think, at least for each of those, we'll talk about for a quick second here, at least for that one. This, this is where the mocks have been. Things may totally change. But if the Cardinals are going to see James Conner get a lot of attention and not bring him back potentially, because there's going to be a number that they'll have. Maybe the availability of running backs in the other spot are different. Which running back in the draft you think that they would add? Because at this point, Kent, it's a better running back class next year is what it seems like. But when you talk about team needs, it's really the Miami Dolphins and the Arizona Cardinals are the two unsettled teams that don't have a proven veteran starter under contract for their team. Um, things can change, obviously, with free agency or with trades. But it does feel like that this is a spot where in round two or round three, there's going to be some good names for Arizona. You could probably get a big back to be complimentary, especially since it seems like the Cardinals are, by all accounts, the better playmaker in maybe a Chase Edmonds, but the type of back that I think that they'll want would be someone who can back up James Conner. He's had health issues. Chase has had health stuff too, but I could see them handing over some of those reins to an Eno Benjamin and bringing back the likes of Conner and bringing another backup behind him. Um, there may be another big back type that you could see that could carry the load that Arizona would sign similar to Conner. I think that those guys are much more available. You'd be probably looking at day two to three of the draft. What's a back at least as we wrap up with this final segment here that you would like to see the Cardinals pursue, whether it's round two, round three, or even maybe getting in the likes of, they don't have a fourth round pick, but at least kind of in that day, early day three type of mold. Yeah, look, it's, it's a position that's difficult to understand because if they, if they, if they bring back a James Connor, then you're going to be looking one way. If they bring back a Chase Edmonds, they, they're going to be looking another. I, I do really like James Cook from Georgia. I like the Georgia guys this year. Um, just probably more of the Chase Edmonds type of a back. But um, 
I, I think he has the ability to to be productive at the at the NFL level, and you're probably going to be getting him in in three in the three four range as opposed to someone like uh, like an Isaiah Spiller, who is a very good player, good size, good combination of skills. But you're probably going to be looking at him going off off the board maybe early two, as as opposed to to a mid three, late three, early four sort of a sort of a player. Um, it really is a little bit horses for courses in terms of of those running backs and and where where you want your guys to 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 produce their football. Um, I'm pretty non-committal on the on the running back class at the moment. I'm not I'm not as as much on board with with the team going that way. I'd much rather they they invest into the existing the existing roster at that position, probably give Eno Benjamin some more carries, probably get a guy in into the building again, like a like a James Conner and a Chase Edmonds if if, if they're affordable and, and try and build stability at that position and and if not, probably look at an experienced NFL guy who can be a third down back, who can be your Chase Edmonds and and maybe look around the a league for for a one year rental as a as a power back as well. I, I think it's it's probably Inefficient use of money to invest. Oh, sorry, inefficient use of both money and draft capital to to invest a probably top hundred pick in a running back or or even a uh, a big contract into a running back. It's I think there's there's a lot of guys that can fill a lot of roles and you can you can get ninety percent of what you want from a running back from a guy that you're going to pick up late in late in drafts or or late in a free agency process. Yeah, it's interesting. This is maybe what most people are saying is unless Miami for some reason really, really seems to like a Kenneth Walker or a Brees Hall, we're probably going to see the streak of first round running backs broken, which is funny because um, the would have been broken at least for that one probably two years ago, if not for the Kansas City Chiefs with the surprise selection of taking Clyde Edwards, Elair and pick 32, which a lot of people are wondering why they took that small of a running back that high who He's not been quite as dynamic in the league. The thing that's toughest, at least with this Kent, is we've seen Steve Keim and the Cardinals, even under the Ken Wisenhunt era, put a premium on some of the running back picks as far as a selection. We know that they were looking at Amir Abdullah in round two earlier of the 2016 draft, ended up with David Johnson in round three after a trade-up from the Lions. We've seen them draft Ryan Williams in round two and how health and major injuries essentially just derailed uh, his entire career. Um, we can even look at how just in a few years ago, Chase Edmonds was probably going to be the Cardinals round three pick that they targeted him. They were able to get him in round four out of Fordham. We had talked about him as a round five pick, but he just tested ultimately too well. Um, maybe a Rashad White type of player or a Tyler Algier, at least from BYU, are two of these guys who have you know the traction of being a 220-pound guy, kind of this James Conner type clone. Algier almost put up identical numbers to him. You're probably going to have at some point of a need to get a running back. Like teams have said, every team who believes they can just get a round five, round six back and go. The issue is, like you said, when teams go to pay these star running backs or pay these high quality backs or invest, say, the number two overall pick in the draft on a Saquon Barkley who three years later, you know, is saying, hey, well, uh, you offer us a round four pick for him. You know, go ahead. You can have him. I'm just kind of wondering if we don't see the Cardinals and Steve Kime potentially, unfortunately, looking at a Hall or a Walker in round two. I agree with you. I'd love to instead see them kind of wait up until maybe you trade back from round two, 
can still land a talented wide receiver, or if maybe the guy you like isn't there and can then go out and spend at least a small amount of capital, keep that guy as a starter for three or four years in a row, and then let them walk, similar to what we saw the Pittsburgh Steelers do uh, with the likes of a James Conner. It's just one of those weird avenues, at least, where you want to kind of hit that sweet spot, as we've seen some teams do, of finding a really talented player you can bring in, give them a lot of carries for four years, and let them go. It's just been a spot of, like you said, there's other players and positions you can get effective play from some of these guys. It'll just be something to see what the Cardinals will want to do, because James Conner, like we've seen, has not been immune to having serious injuries, and he did get nicked up a bit last year, and... Some of that may have been to overuse, but that is one of the spots I think as far as right now for the Cardinals that they're going to lead. Uh, they're going to need to have at some point a body that comes in. It's just a question of how high do you spend? Cons- there's considerable other needs at better and more premium positions. Yeah, and and there's a few guys like I. I've sort of honed in a lot on on Georgia players and Cincinnati players this year that. That are that are guys who have just been successful at that level. Who are you're going to hit a double? You're gonna you're going to hit a single. You're going to get on base with these guys. It's it's something that you you can really probably just rely on these guys to come in and do a job. And and Jerome Ford is a guy at that position out of Cincinnati who I think can can probably fill a role at running back where. He's not an elite. He's not an elite talent at that position, but he's but he's got enough of the size speed combination that you can probably put him on the field at running back and and deliver a decent uh, a decent productivity rating if if you're going to put a decent offensive line in front of him. Absolutely. Then I'll wrap it up for this episode of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm Blake Murphy again. You can find me on Twitter at Blake Murphy Seven. Follow the podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, other places um, such as um, uh, you can look for us on RevengeOfTheBirds.com. Um, Kent, why don't you let the listeners know where you can be located as well for some of the takes? And it's been a, an interesting spot for the most part, where I think you've gone on record this past week of kind of showing how you know there's. People talk about like with selfishness or prospects or that stuff. There's been some interesting takes you've had on Larry Fitzgerald when it's come to some of that too, because I think you and I can agree that he's been one of the biggest paid players in NFL history to get that from a wide receiver position on a similar level of Sam Bradford contracts. There's definitely been, I know, some hot takes that you've had in that regard for the most part uh, when it comes to that former Cardinals legend who is now um, these Cardinals retired legend, as it were. Yeah, so if if you want to hear my hot takes on Larry Fitzgerald, you can come find me on Twitter at Kent underscore Hotter. And yeah, this it's just it's just interesting talking about money and percentage of of the cap that you're allocating to one player. You know, Arizona has paid Larry Fitzgerald a lot of money. They lost other star players at receiver because Larry Fitzgerald was taking up so much of that that money, and and ultimately a, a lot of what seemingly drove Larry Fitzgerald was more more about getting paid and getting his catches and getting his numbers than it was about ultimate team success. And I guess that's probably one of the reasons that he hung around in Arizona for so long because he knew he was going to get a good deal. He knew he was going to get paid and he knew he was going to get force-fed the ball. Interesting that it wasn't until Kyler Murray shows up, the guy who wasn't going to force-feed him the football, that Larry Fitzgerald finally decided to step away from the game. But yeah, if you want to if you want to follow me on uh, on Twitter, you can find more of those hot takes.
Absolutely. Thanks again for joining so much, folks. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast.